but with the legendary, by legendary I mean widely respected, not mythical and imaginary, um, Tom Wright, who's a theologian, academic, used to be a bishop, bit of an all-round good egg, and he has done some really, really interesting work over the last few years to write books that help us in the church to unpack scripture, understand theology a bit more, and he's coming here. And uh, you're all invited. It's going to be really, really good fun. He's super brainy, and hopefully for people like me, he uses quite straightforward words when he speaks. So while, when he writes, and here's an example of one of his books, a bit like me, full of words and not very skinny, um, when he writes, there's a richness and a detail and a depth in there that's really interesting. Happily, when he speaks, it's something for everybody, even if you haven't read his books, even if you haven't thought about the things that he's talking about. He's going to be here on Friday, 8 o'clock. You're all invited, all your friends. I know that there are people from other churches coming because he's really well known and widely respected and he doesn't often come to this part of London. He doesn't live in London. So it's such a treat for us to have him. I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. Great. How good a sermon was that? Thank you. I'm working on it. Okay. So a few years before my um, grandmother died, she lost her sight, which, as you can imagine, was really debilitating, very limiting for her. She was very sad about it, and we all did our best to help. And there was one day, I used to go up and see her uh, on the weekends, and there was one day I was pushing her through the village in the wheelchair, like you do, and just doing normal things, pushing around. She'd lived there for a long time, so lots of people who walked past knew her and stopped to chat. We went to the library, we did that thing where we went to the notice board, which of course she couldn't see, so I read out all the things on the notice board and the talks that were going to be happening. She would tell me a big story about the windmill of the road, and I was thinking, I've never heard it before. And we did all of that. And we came out of the library, doing upper class, and a lady comes towards us who I don't recognize, and she's clearly recognized Gran. So I'm thinking, all right, well, I really need to be saying to Gran, this is so-and-so, but I don't know who it is. So I said to the lady, um, oh, I'm so sorry, Gran couldn't let you to see her today, uh, so maybe she's just taking her. So she said, oh, well, yes, hi, I'm I. Oh, I mean, yes, not to so check that. I said, really, can you? That's very convenient when you need to. Can't quite believe it. She was, we genuinely thought she could see anything at all. She could see things we didn't know about. And I don't know if you've ever been in conversations with people and you realize you're seeing things completely differently, completely differently. Or you can physically be somewhere and see things happening in front of you really differently than the person next to you. And this morning we are going to look in the scripture at just one of many examples where there were a bunch of people in the same place. And some of the characters in that story see things very differently. So if you have your Bible with you on your phone or tablet or even a proper paper Bible, like in the olden days, you are very welcome to turn to the book of Luke, the words are going to come up on the screen behind me. We're in Luke chapter 9. And what has happened so far in this story is that Jesus is alive and walking the earth, and he's got a bunch of friends, and he's spent some time with them over the previous months, and they've got to know him very well, and they've worked with 
standing where he lives alongside him, and they've seen him doing miracles, and they've seen him teaching, and they've been there when lots of exciting things have happened. And just before this point in the story, Jesus had sent those friends out and said, you go and do the stuff now. So they've gone out, and they have done the stuff. And they've been in different places, and they've seen people get healed, and lots of amazing things have happened. And then they have come back to report that to Jesus. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. Now, this is a story we see a couple of times told by different people in the Bible. And in this version told by John, we see another of his disciples, Andrew, bang Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go? There's only so many. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 15 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to all the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Lots and lots of people in that story, literally thousands of people in that story. And what we see here is that we have a few characters that we know a little bit about. And we can see how they respond to something in front of them, a situation that perhaps feels like a bit of a crisis. Over this few weeks, as you know, we have been thinking about some of the things that make the Vineyard movement of churches distinctive. And things that are important to us here in Riverside Vineyard and to the many other Vineyard churches around this country and around the world. And uh, my current favourite book, is Vineyard Values, which you can buy from here for £5, which is super helpful with lots of stories and information to help us to unpack some of the core values of how we do things here, what it means to be in the vineyard. If you were here last week, you heard Rob introduce that, thinking about the kingdom of God. Today we're looking at the uh, value that we hold very dear here, which is that everyone gets to play. Because what we see in this story in Luke is that in a room of loads and loads of people, in a field rather, of loads and loads of people, um, something very special is happening and everybody has a part in it. One person who's crucial to the story, especially in the way that John tells the story, is the little boy. We don't really know much about him. We don't know why he was there, whether someone brought him, whether he meant to be there or just was passing and saw something happening and went over to have a look. We don't really know. All we know is that he had some food in his bag. Now, if you had asked that little boy, and again, we don't know, but I can, I can probably speculate quite intensely that if you were to ask him, what do you, do you expect to see a miracle today? He might have said yes, because 
vegetarian, we know Jesus could do that too. If we were to ask him, what have you got that Jesus could do a miracle with? Who could say whether he would have said, my loaves and fish? Does he recognize that the bread and fish are tools to do a miracle? Because God will often use the most unlikely things, literally objects, we see that a lot in scripture, picking up something and turning it into something else, like putting a hand on a person or a part of the body that could fit them and seeing it change, transform, right in front of us. God will often use the most unlikely things, the most unlikely people, the most unlikely situations, especially when we think we have nothing. Because that's when we recognize the power of God. A few years ago, I was working for Tearfund and I went to Uganda. And one day, I met a man who was very, very keen to talk to me and said, I really, really want to tell you about something very exciting that's happened to me. I said, I'd love to hear that. And he said, well, a few years ago, you know, at the church um, up the road, there were these meetings that went up like workshops that happened all day. And I went to one and they were trying to tell us that, you know, we could plan a great future for our village. And village would be great because it's all convenient. We've got to have our village to utilize. What kind of life we want for our children. And they were talking about using what you have. So I went to the first day of the workshop and I thought it was really fun and I enjoyed it. And we sang some songs and we played some games and did some things. But at the end of the day, I said to people leaving it, I'm so sorry I can't come back tomorrow because I don't have anything. And they said, what do you mean? When you're talking about God, you'll use what you have. What can you have? I don't have anything. But they said, oh, okay. Well, why don't you go home tonight, have a look around your home, do come back tomorrow, and you can talk about it again. And he goes home, looks around at home, which is, if you've been to Uganda and particularly the rural parts of uh, northern Uganda, you might, may have seen some homes that have literally nothing in them. It's just a box with nothing. And he lived in one of those. And he went back the next day and said, no, I've had a look, thank you, but um, there's nothing. So they said, well, stay for today, see how you feel. End of the day, said it all again. I can't come back to work again. Back and forth, back and forth he goes. Till eventually he gets quite frustrated and he says, Look, will you stop telling me what I have? I don't have anything. I've only got a bike. And with that bike, he started to do deliveries for people. He paid them to walk. He, paid, he earned enough to put his children through school. And his children, when they touched, they had nothing on the floor.
No, I would go to the two people in town and she'd go, oh, we go to a vineyard church. I said, yes, I do. She goes, you guys are all about that. Yes, we are. Everyone gets to play. We don't know the power of who we are, of what we have, of where we've been. We do know the power of the living God, of the Holy Spirit, who is alive and well and living in us. That is what we know, and that is all we need. Everyone gets to play. One of the ways you play every week, more than once a week, depending on whether you're in a small group or what kind of meetings you're in, is praying for each other. So you know if you've been here before on a Sunday in particular, that was usually an opportunity at the end of the service to come forward and just pray for. And anyone can come forward and be prayed for. And I love the interplay of the people. Everyone gets to play. However long you've known Jesus, however many times you've said yes to Jesus, whatever you know about Jesus, everyone gets to play. And I just want us to have a think about that this morning and look at it. So I'm going to ask people to play. So I'm going to pretend Sadie's on stage, hopefully, and then we can see you. So if you come forward to pray this morning, don't come on stage. Just going to stand out here, but we're putting Kay up here because then you can see her. And Kay is pretending that she's come forward to prayer. So I actually do know Kay very well. We even have the same birthday, which was four days ago. Thank you. And um, so I'm just going to pretend I don't know Kay because often when I come forward to pray for people, I don't know the person I'm praying for. Lots of people here, always something new, it's really great to make new friends. So if I'm coming forward to pray for Kay, Kay's going to stand up here for a minute. Don't leave people standing too long, they're here to be prayed for, come and pray for them. And uh, so I'll say, oh hi, my name is Sophie, and then Kay will tell me her name. And then I'll just say something simple like, um, what would you like us to do? So Kay might have a pain in her body, or a situation that she's thinking about at work, Something big that's happening tomorrow that she's um, really feeling very seriously, something that she wants prayer for. So I will then say, um, Great, well, let's give that to God. And is it all right if I just put my hand on your head? We only touch people with their permission, obviously. But sometimes that doesn't change. They do get permission. And uh, ask them, Is it all right if I just. Now, the reason that we do this is because the Bible says lay hands on people. It specifically says about physical healing. If you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. So it's important to lay hands on people if they're happy for you to do it. It means something spiritually, because it's Kay's body, not mine. It's up to her. I'm happy to do it. Another super helpful thing that happens when we're praying for people is to have somebody else there with you. So Heather, why don't you come and join me? So Heather has seen me in our little scenario. Heather's seen me praying for Kay. And she goes, oh, great. I want a bit of that. Everyone gets to play. So Heather... Comes and stands and puts her hand, she's got permission, puts her hand on Kay as well. And the two of us pray. It's so much more fun praying with, with two people than with somebody. Really, really brilliant. It's so encouraging. You hear other people's prayers. You learn something. You feel affirmed in what you're doing. You feel like you're leading God together. And Kay, hopefully, feels as though doubly encouraged and blessed. Two is about right. We don't need 22. So, Kay is now fine with two people praying for her. Now, I'm a woman, so I would go to pray for a woman. If you're a man, I encourage you to go to pray for a man. It makes everybody feel safe. And it just makes things much easier for all of us. I have, I remember one time, um, a couple of years ago, seeing a man come forward. And really, I knew him, and I felt like I actually didn't really want to pray for him. 
So I'm not saying you can never do it, but what I did on that day was I found another man who I also knew and said, I would really like to pray for him. Will you come with me? And we did that together. So there was a man praying for him, and I was coming as well. That just had something to do clear about what's happening. So I'm standing with Kay. She's asked for prayer. I'll just start to say, thank you, God, for loving Kay, for this situation to you, and maybe it's more physical healing. I'll ask specifically for relief from pain or for better movement or for whatever it is that Kay is asking God for. Now, one thing that I found really weird when I started coming to Vineyard is, when we pray for people like this, the people who are doing the praying, not the people who pray for, we keep our eyes open. So that's a little bit counterintuitive if you've been very much, you know, hands together, eyes closed prayers all your life. But super helpful because we can see what's happening. It might be that although my prayers are eloquent and fascinating, I'm sure, Kay might get bored. And she might, for all that, if I'm like this, going, Lord, 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 my eyes closed, and she's going, Thank you. 
particular groups back over time and done particular things um, with adults who are Christians that most people who are Christians in this country came to faith in childhood. Now, this this is not a social science lesson, so I'm not expecting you to understand all the details of that uh, pie chart, but I'll just briefly explain that the biggest chunk of 40% of adults who are Christians in this country, 40% of them say they gave their life to Jesus before they were five years old. So the vast majority came to faith before the age of 25, but actually the biggest chunk are with preschoolers. And then you see 16% just kind of primary school age, 20%, 20% of this, that's high school age, teenagers, that's where it's at, if you know that, that and if that's where it's going to uh, leave people, often that will be the time, and then the 9% that's up to 25. Crucial, Jesus knows that, he tells us to care about the children. Jesus knew that before the research proved him right. So if you're a parent, a grandparent, a foster carer, you're a godparent or an aunt or an uncle or somebody who's important in a child's life, we bless you this morning. We thank you and we want the best for you. We encourage you in that. You are doing a brilliant job, one of the most important jobs in ministry, is caring for children and bringing them to Jesus. Okay, let's look at another character, set of characters of this story. Disciples. So in the version that we read, the words apostles and disciples have moved around a bit. But basically, this is the group of people who were Jesus' friends. And they had just been and doing amazing things, traveling, seeing brilliant stuff happen. And they come back, and my imagining is that they were super excited. And then they came to have some quality time with Jesus, but a bunch of people turned up. And then new work needed to be done with these people. They were like, oh, now we've got to feed them. Well, in fact, they didn't say that. They said, come and just send them home. And Jesus said, how about you feed them? And they said, oh, it's my imagining. Who knows? I could see different, but that's how I read it. So they've gone from, look at all these people in the few weeks before. Look at all these people, and they've got stories of miracles and provision and healing and amazing things. And then on this day, they're like, oh, look at all these people. And maybe I'm the only person in this room that's ever felt like that. But sometimes when everyone gets to play, and we're doing the stuff, and we're stepping out in ministry, and we're seeing miracles, and it's super exciting, sometimes we reach a tipping point where we think, oh, if you're in the church and if you're in a church where everyone gets to play. You're not the only person that can do stuff. There are other people. And knowing who you are and knowing who the people are around you is a super big help. We see this in lots of different parts of our lives. 
I'm very blessed to be in quite a close family, and um, a big family actually, four British families. I have two sisters and two brothers, four of us. Fairly big, a big country. And when it was my mum's funeral a few weeks ago, we found, the four of us, that we really just fell into place, even though we just hadn't seen each other in a quite far apart, that we knew ourselves when we knew each other. So on the day of the funeral, um, my brother had organised all the stuff with the undertaker. I had organised the reception after the funeral. One of my sisters had organised all the stuff that children were going to do in the service and all the activities later. My other sister had organised um, looking after my dad, and she was having to live with her for a few weeks between the death of my mum and the funeral. And lots of other stuff happened as well. But four of us together took on stuff that made it work. And we have our ups and downs, and I'm not pretending we're a perfect family, but we know ourselves when we know each other. And we're confident in what we can do, and we respect what each other can do. Any one of us could have said, I'm just going to do it. But why would we? There are four of us. Everyone gets to play. And there are things that some of us are better at than others, or enjoy more than others. And it's actually in those crises, in the times when you think, oh no, not another thing. That is when you realize who your team are and whether you've built up relationships with people who can serve with you. Everyone gets to play. It might be that you are in a particular level of fatigue that might, might have gone on for a long time or feels particularly intense, and you're actually a bit beyond just the September feeling of, gosh, it's Christmas already. But and you're really thinking, I have given and given and given and had it all spent. It just doesn't come around. You think I can do anything. It just, honestly, we will see this again. I completely struggle. And that's a very hard place to be sometimes. It's very sad. And if you're in that place today, first of all, thank you for coming. You are welcome here.
And then Jesus shows us in the scripture how to respond. Let's have a look at verse 16. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. When everyone gets to play and we start doing the stuff, this is what happens. Jesus takes the bits of whatever we have, the stuff that we think, that's not really, that's not going to save. Jesus takes it. We look up to heaven. Or even Jesus looks up to heaven. We all look up to heaven and we give thanks. We give thanks to the God who made it. We give thanks to the God who believes in us. We give thanks to the God who calls us. We give thanks to the God who gifts us, who blesses us. We give thanks. We take the stuff that God has given and we give it away. We give it away to the stuff and it will do far, far more than we can ever anticipate. Can I say what you're saying this morning? God is good. God is good. God is so good. Does anybody agree with me? God is good. We give thanks to God in whatever we have. We minister to him. However here it seems, really unreasonable, okay? We look up to heaven, we thank him, and then we give it away. Because he's so much bigger than we can understand. His love. never fails. His mercies are new every morning. His purposes will prevail. His peace passes all understanding. His grace is sufficient for all of your needs. His glory covers the earth and his promises are yes and amen. Let's stand together, shall we? out in whatever way works for you. Lift up to heaven who you are, what you have, where you've been. Thank you, Lord. God is here. somebody who thinks we have nothing, just use this time to bring that feeling to God, that memory, that experience of feeling inadequate or thinking that you can't do what other people can do. Lift up to heaven and thank God for who 
Thank you. 